0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, February 16th, we are studying Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. A large crowd gathers yet again to Jesus as they hunger to hear his word. He also satisfies their physical hunger in a marvelous way. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Venton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks, good to be back.
0: As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, help us with some context. We're beginning Chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark today. What do we need to know going into this text?
1: Well, Jesus has uh, just done a, a wonderful miracle, uh, in the region of the Decapolis, and so he has just uh, had a man brought to him who is deaf and had a speech impediment, and they they begged him to lay his hand on him, he took him aside privately, uh, he has this, you know, the touching of the ears with his fingers and the spitting and touching his tongue, and he says that that word, ephatha, that is, be opened, and the man's ears are opened, his tongue's released, and he speaks plainly. And uh, Jesus had just charged them to tell no one. Uh, he doesn't want things to be uh, spoken of in a way that aren't accurate, and uh, that would prevent him from going to the cross uh, and doing what he's been given to do. And so, this is kind of the 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 context that we have that everyone's just astonished beyond measure at what he's done. They say those famous words: "He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak." And it's, it's after this that we get our, our reading for today.
0: Let's jump right in then to Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthua. That is our text for today, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Pastor Price, the text starts with some words that we might be prone to skip over, but I think they're important. It starts with in those days. That sounds like a pretty familiar phrase from the scriptures.
1: Yeah, it is. And it it marks off something that's, that's very important about Jesus and what he's going to do. Um, and so we know that with these words, he's going to usher in his kingdom here on earth in some way. Um, And this is going to happen among the Gentiles. And so uh, it's important to know that this is kind of a a turn of phrase that does introduce uh, a very major event uh, in Jesus uh, showing forth uh, his kingdom here on earth. But um, also just the the fact, to kind of go back to the context, that Jesus was in the Decapolis, um, which is the ten cities, literally, and this is an area that's uh, east of the Jordan River, southeast of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a Hellenistic area, heavily influenced by the Greek culture, and, and it's, so it's, it's a Gentile area. And so with that in mind, what's actually happening here and what we're going to see and why it's introduced as in those days is proleptically, that is, uh, you know, before he actually does send out his disciples to the Gentiles, Jesus is going to kind of foreshadow that he is for the Gentiles; they are included in salvation by this event, uh, doing this miracle for them, uh, just as he had done for uh, the Jewish audience with the feeding of the five thousand. And so, it is a little bit more than just in those days, you know, talking about uh, you know, it's kind of a a, a good uh, hinge to to. To go into the next story, uh, there, there's something major happening in the kingdom of God uh, coming forth in Jesus for all all nations. Uh,
0: you mentioned that previously Jesus has done a very similar miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 in Jewish territory. Now he's in Gentile territory he feeds 4,000 here. As we go through this text, and even as I was reading it just a moment ago, there's a lot of similarities that can be drawn between Mark 6, which is where the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in this text in Mark 8. There are those in the history of the, the Christian Church and, and in the history of scholarship, I probably should say it that way, who have doubted whether these are two unique stories, but rather perhaps there's a, a doubling going on and, and they're the same. Pastor Price, why should we understand what happens in Mark 6 with the feeding of the 5,000 and what happens here in Mark 8 with the feeding of 4,000? Why should we understand them as two separate accounts?
1: Right. Uh, there is a, a tendency uh, among what we call higher critics uh, who would look at this and say, well, there they are so similar. And I mean, that's something that you notice right away, that uh, they must be the same event and he's just using it for a different purpose, but it's really the same thing. And, you know, these same people would say things like, well, this wasn't really a miracle. And what really happened was, you know, you take example, the the feeding of the five thousand, they'll say something like, "Well, the boy shared his his bread and fish and then and what this did was it made everybody else want to share too. And that's really how Jesus fed everybody instead of multiplying the loaves and the fish. And so they always come up with some reasonable explanation for what's going on. So it is important for us to say, okay, yeah, we see the similarities, but let's look at this uh, according to what the the text actually say and and notice all the differences, too. So, first of all, he says, when, again, a great crowd had gathered. And so, according to Mark's gospel, he is saying this is, again, a great crowd had gathered. This is a second event. Um, we also know that Scripture doesn't err, and so we could just end it at that, but there, there's a little bit more with the context. So, the first difference that you can see is what we had mentioned before, that this is done uh, in the Decapolis. So it's a Gentile setting, where in Capernaum, you'd have more of a Jewish setting. And so you automatically have a a different context when it comes to the location. But then also you have a different when it comes to the time that the crowd spent with Jesus. With the feeding of the 5,000, they were there for one day. And then with the feeding of the 4,000, we hear uh, explicitly that they were there with him for three days. Uh, Another difference is that the disciples' reactions— are are vastly different. Uh, when you look at the feeding of the five thousand, they're begging Jesus to send the crowd away, whereas with the feeding of the four thousand, it's all just kind of uh, left to Jesus. and he is the one who's guiding the entire narrative. And uh, another thing is the count of fish there uh, and and the loaves. There were five loaves and two fish with the feeding of the five thousand. There were seven loaves and a few small fish with the feeding of the four thousand. Obviously, the people are different, 5,000 versus 4,000. These numbers are both literal, and they also uh, uh, symbolize, we'll talk about the 4,000-something, uh, I believe, as well. And then you have the baskets and the fragments. The, the, the baskets for the feeding of the 5,000 were actually small baskets uh, that would be used to you know carry things like you know, fish and bread. Uh, and they had 12 full leftover uh, baskets, Whereas these baskets uh, mentioned with the feeding of the 4,000, the the Greek term is uh, a term that refers to something like a large hamper. Mm. And it would have, to have seven full leftovers would be just an immense amount of leftovers. So you've got a difference uh, with the baskets and the fragments too. And then finally, you have a difference with the departures. So Jesus, uh, instead of getting into the boat with the feeding of the 5,000, he actually goes up the mountain to pray. Whereas with the feeding of the 4,000, he actually gets into the boat with his disciples. So, I mean, yes, you have a lot of similarities. You see that just from reading through it. But when you actually take the time to sit down and, and compare the two, you see that these are very different settings. These are very different contexts. These are very different events, even though they have all of those similarities. Now, there's one last one that I think is very important, and that is... Jesus says they're different. So if you when you go on and you'll go through this here in Mark chapter eight, and just a little while after uh, this uh, uh, podcast or uh, a part of the the show here, radio show, um you'll see that uh, in chapter eight, verses fourteen to twenty one, Jesus actually uses the feeding of the five thousand uh, to teach about himself uh, as the bread of life to to the Israelites. He doesn't talk about this in chapter eight here. But he uses the feeding of the five thousand to teach about himself as the bread of life to the israelites uh, using the manna in the wilderness as the connection but here in, in chapter eight he uses the feeding of the four thousand and the five thousand to teach of the leaven of the pharisees and herod and so jesus actually uses these two events as uh as a different something different you know so the feeding of the five thousand the four thousand here in mark uh chapter eight Jesus himself mentions are different events that are uh, he's going to use to teach uh, a different different issue, namely that there's false teaching and, and evil done by the Pharisees and Herod.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Jesus differentiates between the two, then we are right to do as well. And we should, certainly shouldn't think that we're smarter than our Lord. So he differentiates between the two, the feeding of the five, which we looked at in Mark 6, now the feeding of the 4,000 here in Mark chapter 8 in this Gentile territory. As you said, there are some similarities, plenty of similarities. Among them is this word that Jesus actually uses here. I think in Mark 6, Mark is the one who tells us that Jesus had compassion. Here we hear it from Jesus' own lips. He says, I have compassion on the crowd. This is such an important New Testament word, Pastor Price. Tell us about this this word. I have compassion when Jesus speaks here.
1: Yeah, this uh, in the Greek. It's kind of onomatopoeia, Uh The word, the word sounds uh, like what it is. It's this uh, deep-hearted, gut wrenching uh, mercy. And it's a, it's a word of divine mercy, God's mercy. Jesus is physically moved and uh, literally it's, it's to have his bowels yearn, right? He so feels uh, the, the pain of these people. Um, and and you, you see that in, in the feeding of the 5,000, as you'd mentioned, Mark talks about it in relation to the spiritual need. Uh, of Of a teacher, they need a shepherd. they need uh, they're the sheep of Israel. and and they, they they so need this teaching so that they are saved uh, and and know Christ aright. Uh, but here, we see that Jesus doesn't talk about the sheep uh, since he's with the Gentiles. So the sheep represent the the Israelites. Um, the Gentiles, Uh, he, he doesn't mention the sheep, but he still sees their need for physical hunger. And so he has this, this divine mercy upon them. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that word, uh, it's, it's such a big word in scripture. It's kind of hard to do it justice. And, um, you probably need an entire episode on that.
0: No, it really is such an important word. And as you said, there's not a real good way To translate it with one English word, compassion's not bad. But it, it I don't think it gets to the fullness of it. We have in English the the idiom like uh, his heart went out to him, which is is close. Sure. But I think even that doesn't get to the the fullness of the the actual physical effect that you're describing, you know, this gut wrenching, you you feel it inside of you. There's a, a physical reaction that's happening inside of Jesus that leads him to do something. And I think that's the other key too when it says I have compassion on the crowd, this isn't simply a, a feeling inside of Jesus, but it, it actually leads him to do something, right. to show mercy, to to be compassionate or to be merciful. There, maybe there's a, a way to, to say it so that we get that action part of it too, and it's not just a feeling.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, that's great. And you know what? The the English word compassion, if you, you know the Latin, um, this is to suffer with, literally. Yeah. And, and so this is the way we, we could probably get it into the action. So maybe compassion is the best word in English since we don't have that. Um, you know, you mentioned the idiom. Some people might say like, you know, um, my heart goes out to you. I I don't know. I mean, there are all sorts of ways in which people might say it that, that you, you know, you had mentioned one, but anyway, the, the point here being that there is a, a literal suffering, uh, within him, uh, that is leading to an action. He's not just going to you know, like when we show compassion toward others, oftentimes we don't we don't necessarily suffer with them. Mm. Um, and we 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 try to we try to have sympathy, um, but at the same time, it, it like you said, it's just a feeling at that point. and we're not always able to do something about it. And Jesus really does do something about this, uh, not only the physical hunger but also the spiritual hunger, which is why they're there.
0: Yeah, so tell us more about this spiritual hunger. Jesus says they've been with him for three days and have nothing to eat. What are they doing there for three days with him?
1: Yeah, so this is actually the reason for his compassion. Now, we can say that, okay, he's having compassion on them because they're hungry, but there's a reason that they're hungry, and I think this is something to really stop, contemplate, and dwell upon. And that is that uh, the reason this crowd is hungry, and some could even die, as Jesus says, if if they're sent away, is because they first hungered for Jesus' word more than for physical food. They were so taken by these miracles, uh, but, but most especially the teachings of Jesus, they're listening to him, uh, that they had exhausted their food supply. Luther says this, he says, our, our Lord Christ is here teaching us the same truth he expresses in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So in effect, Luther says, he is saying, don't worry about dying of hunger, rather make it your primary concern to hear my word. When you've done this, trust your Father in heaven to provide for your belly. He is determined not to let you die of hunger. That is the guideline Christ is here laying down for us. So this is the primary lesson we should learn. Make God's word your chief concern. And having done that, be assured that the Lord Christ will also provide for your material needs. So that's Luther. And, uh, you know, another thing to consider is that we, we pray those first three petitions of the Lord's prayer uh, that have to do with uh, God uh, strengthening our faith in his word and giving us his Holy Spirit before the fourth petition, which is a petition for our daily bread. And uh, that that's that's very important. Uh, I would. I, the reason I want to dwell on this a little bit and contemplate a little bit is that we are in the midst of this COVID crisis. And even if we weren't, but, but we are, there is always a, a, a need to teach God's people that the, the, the most important food that you receive, uh, and, and maybe we'd say then with, with COVID, the most important medicine that you receive in your life is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Obviously with the, the sacrament we have, that which is uh, the medicine of immortality and has the physical elements as well in Christ's body and blood, um, and, and is food for our souls. But this is a needed reminder to all of us that when we put God's word first, and we hear his word, he will take care of us. And that doesn't mean that uh, you know people won't get sick, that doesn't mean that people won't go without things, but it does mean that God, the same God who is feeding your soul, is feeding your body, and and Luther really draws that point out. I don't know if you want to speak to that too, but I just find this there, there's a reason that that he's having compassion, a reason that they're physically hungry. It's because they will not go without Jesus' word, and this this speaks to the COVID crisis. It speaks to to persecution for. For, for staying with Christ and his word. It speaks to so much, I think, in our day.
0: I think it fits very well with what you were saying about the way that Jesus makes use of these in two events, so the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. In in neither case does he take the the event, what he did, and say, now what I want you to know from this is that I will always provide for your physical needs. If anything, he does something different. I think you said with the feeding of the 5,000, and that's particularly when we look at John chapter six and we get that extended discourse, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And and this word that I have for you, that's food that will never perish. That's food that that won't ever go bad. And that will give you eternal life. Here in the feeding of the 4,000, he uses it again, not to teach the Gentiles The source of your food is the one true God, although that's, you know, that's in there. And I'm not saying it's not in there, but the way that he uses it to teach, as you pointed out, is later he's going to talk to his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And so even even in, again, the physical thing that Jesus does in providing their daily bread, that's important. But God has God has more gifts. I mean, and the Lord's Prayer, I think, is a fantastic example that in the first three petitions, as you said, before we ever pray for our daily bread, we're praying about the holiness of God's name among us, the coming of God's kingdom to us, and the doing of his will among us. And then even after the praying of the fourth petition, we pray for forgiveness for our sins and strength to forgive others. We pray for deliverance from Satan's temptations and ultimately deliverance from every evil. It, sometimes i think it's very easy the needs of of this life and this body they're just right there in front of us all the time and so those are the first things that seems that come to our mind to pray for and again that's not bad the fourth petition is god's gift but if we forget the other petitions oh we're just missing out all on all these treasures that god wants for us
1: yeah we are and i don't know about you but i mean i i'm so emphasizing the, the, that God loves the creation, the material that yeah. he has made, you know, like the resurrection, you want to, you want to accent the resurrection in the midst of death so that people understand that the soul goes, goes to be with Christ upon a death for a Christian, but that they are still waiting for the resurrection. So I find myself, you know, really, really talking about this because we're in this kind of Gnostic world right now. And one of the problems we might have is that we we do forget that in this life god wants us to go without in our body to discipline our body to see so that our body understands and we are we we teach our flesh and god teaches our flesh uh that the soul is is what is really needs to be fed more than anything in this life um and if we had to choose between the two you know feed my body or feed my soul we should be told feed my soul is the right answer and that 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 that, you know yes most of the time you don't need to make a decision between those two things but there are times when you do and uh i think that i don't know i've just found that as a pastor i'm kind of (laughs) jumping from one thing to other i'm trying to teach people how important the body is but at the same time also we, we, we do talk about the soul as, as more important uh, when, when we're talking about which, which food, which medicine do we need more.
0: I, I think we can do that. We can talk about how important the soul is and the need for the Word of God. We can do that precisely because of the resurrection from the dead. It is because I know that right. if this body dies, God will raise it. That gives me the confidence to to put my trust fully in the word of God, because I know no matter what happens to the body, whether God provides for it now or he allows it to die now, he will raise it from the dead on the last day. I think those two things really go together.
1: Exactly. That's perfect.
0: So Jesus is. is, This is all there in Jesus' words as he's he's commending the crowd for their desire, their hunger for the word of God. He's he's going to put this before his disciples. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. The scene is set, and it's almost like you know Jesus is throwing that softball to disciples, ready for them. The hanging curve, you know, hit it out of the park, guys. And well, I'm not sure if they do. <laughs> how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? What do you make of of the disciples' answer?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those moments where you just kind of have to step back and ask, what, how did you not get this? Um, they, they they'd experienced the feeding of the five thousand. It's surprising to hear this reaction. I think upon first read, and uh, we will get to how this actually can be a good thing, but. Uh, I think to start with, we we should probably just see this as the sin of unbelief, which we all have, even as believers. So when you get through Mark nine, uh, you're gonna you're gonna talk about uh, how the the man uh, Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit, and and uh, we hear the father of the child say, "I believe, help my unbelief," and it's just a, a wonderful confession of how we are both the old man and the new man uh, as as believers who, who do you know, trust in Christ, but still have that flesh around our, our neck until the day we die. And so that's what's going on here with them, I would say. Uh, had they seen bakers and fishmongers, they would have no doubt uh, said that they don't have any d- doubt about the ability to feed the 4,000 if they had enough of them. Uh, but seeing Jesus, they do doubt, and this is this is exactly what unbelief does. It looks at the the moment and, and you live by sight instead of by faith in Christ, uh, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, at the same time, though, I would say this, that recognizing their own helplessness, which is what they're doing, uh, is really the first step in receiving help, uh, which is exactly what Jesus is all about and exactly what he gives. So I... I do have a tendency to try to defend the disciples maybe a little bit too much. I think I got that from Luther in the Genesis commentary. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he just will defend and put the best construction on every single person, uh, even though you say, ah, I think that they probably were, were sinning there. But um, I think that's probably what's happening here, too. There's unbelief. But at the same time, uh, Jesus Jesus is so good to them in response, and they need to be in this helpless state in order to understand, again, what Jesus is going to do.
0: Along those same lines of defending the disciples, or at least trying to understand where they are, you know, we were talking earlier about how there are so many similarities between the feeding of the 5,000 and feeding of the 4,000. That I think it's very easy for us to say, "Look, you guys have already seen this. Why don't you get it?" But there is an important piece of context that maybe comes into play. You can tell me what you think. They are in Gentile territory at this point, and so, and again, you know, it's hard to know exactly where you emphasize this, but but maybe maybe we could understand them to say, "How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place?" Such that there's a. Maybe the fact that they're in Gentile territory and they haven't fully grasped what what Jesus is going to do—not just for Israel, but for all people—maybe maybe there's something there that's going on in their mind. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't think you're really reading between the lines there. I think you're you're using the text itself to guide you. And I I uh, myself had not thought of that, but I think that that's very much within line within the context of this text. Um, And so I I would say that that's definitely a very good possibility since, you know, we are drawing out and we'll continue to draw out that this is Gentile territory. So, yeah, I think so.
0: All right. And so we'll keep seeing how the disciples react and what Jesus does with his great patience for them. Looking here at Mark chapter 8 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUEL. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, February 16th. We are looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. We have Pastor Stephen Preuss with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at the disciples. Jesus has explained his compassion for the crowd. He's put it in front of them. They've missed it for one reason or another, but we we need to see that. Yeah. They're they're probably got some unbelief just as we all do. Jesus though. He doesn't just say what's wrong with you. He's got a more patient response. He says, how many loaves do you have? What is Jesus teaching here?
1: Yeah. Jesus. He's so good at this. I mean, it's, it's a, what a wonderful way to do it. it. It reminds me again, you know, Luther brought up Matthew six and, uh, Jesus there tells his disciples, you know, God feeds the the birds and he clothes the lilies of the field and he, he kind of, sh- he shames them in a way of, of not realizing that they're going to get taken care of in such a nice way, a kind way, uh, speaking the truth in love, I guess you'd say it. Um, and he's doing the same kind of thing here. Uh, He's, he's not, he, he's not trying to um, say this because he doesn't know, you know, how many loaves they have, um, but he's teaching them that their unbelief is unwarranted, but it, in, and it's shaming them, but it's shaming them not just to leave them there, but he does it in such a way as to allow them to realize their foolishness as they see the miracle, uh, and then even partake in it as the vessels of Jesus' mercy, as we'll, we'll talk about. So, Jesus is incredibly patient. Um it is not surprising because he is God's son and that is who God is. He is a patient God who overlooks sin, uh, not in order to uh sweep it under the rug, but in order to uh have it nailed uh to the cross. And so this is uh just another example of Jesus' patience as he's dealing with his disciples. Um, he's gonna He's going to uh, shame them into seeing what they really should see. And, you know, connecting to your your uh, thought from the text in verse 4, that these people, he's also going to show them, you know, that he has come just as much for the Gentile as for the Jew.
0: Mm. So they, they answer him with their seven loaves. Now, I assume they answer that there's seven loaves because there really are seven loaves but I think you mentioned when we were introducing the text that the numbers in this text, perhaps we can see something a little bit more in, in that it's not just a coincidence that there's seven loaves here, as opposed to say the five that were there for the feeding of the 5,000 in in Mark six, what significance might we see in the number seven loaves here?
1: Sure. Well, uh, first Jesus, when he, when he does receive the seven loaves and he, uh, he gives thanks for the bread and he blesses the fish the the first thing and we we said we don't want to uh, skate over this and act as if it's not important he is acknowledging that his father is the origin and creator of all all food um and so he's giving thanks for it and we should follow suit in our day with prayers for meals and thanksgiving for all that we have and here we think of the fourth petition of the lord's prayer so don't want to skate over that even though uh, we do want to focus upon some other things. He, he most certainly is doing that in this context, just as he did in, in the feeding of the fi- of the five thousand. But this number seven is uh, not only mentioned with seven loaves, um, but you also then have the seven baskets full uh, left over. Uh, it's a very important number. Seven is in scripture. Uh, it symbolizes completeness. Uh, And rest like in the seven days of creation he rests on the seventh day it is complete everything is done Um, and it's the way that it should be working the way it should Uh, so Jesus is showing here that he is the creator with the father uh, and that uh, he all through him all things were made and nothing was made that was uh, made that was not made through him Uh, he's still creating he's still providing here uh, to give physical rest to these people uh, it's something that he also did in the wilderness with the manna, which is more of the focus uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, especially as we see in John chapter 6. Uh, and while he does take care of all people, right, we know that he, you know, the rain and the sun, they fall upon both the just and the unjust. Uh, he will especially take physical care of those who rely on him spiritually. And so he's giving them rest with this This number seven is always that that symbol of, of rest uh, in a double sense then, but I do think that there's something more to it. And uh, I, I, I heard this more recently, that the seven, the number seven is also the combination of four plus three, four being the number of the earth. So you've got the elements of the earth, the four elements of the earth. You also have the four winds and then three being the number we know of the Trinity. And so you add four plus three and you have seven. Uh, so this is also a symbol, and it fits so well with the context that I, I just I think that there's something to this, that uh, of God's reconciliation with the world, right? God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not counting the trespasses against them, uh, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God God's uh, doing something here with these numbers as well uh, to show us that uh, God was in Christ's cross and resurrection reconciled the world to himself and giving the ministry of reconciliation to the apostles, which again, it's a foreshadowing of the Gentiles being brought into the people of God. And so while we don't want to be entirely dogmatic at all times with with, with numbers, uh, their, their, their symbolism, um, I do think that there's something that fits so well with, with the Gentiles being brought in uh, with with that number seven.
0: I think I think you're onto something there, and I, and uh, the the reminder that we shouldn't be too dogmatic about that is well taken. But I do think that the context allows us to move in that direction for a couple of reasons. One would be at the end of the previous text. And you mentioned this at the very beginning, where the people see the healing of the man who is deaf and mute. They say that he, Jesus, has done all things well. And that, that word yeah. there, has done all things well, I do think harkens back to the the account of the creation, you know, where God over and over sees everything that he's made. And when he sees all of it, it is it is very good, in fact, so that we've, we've got in the context this thought that in Jesus, we're seeing a new creation. We're seeing the fullness of creation being remade. And also too, along with that same thinking that in the, in what we've been seeing Mark build up to this point, I think that this feeding serves as a, a climax of sorts where, you know, when he, when he casts out the demon for the Syrophoenician woman, there's that sense, you know, he doesn't want anybody to know he's there. He's trying to remain hidden. He's unsuccessful. The previous text, he also is, is charging, you know, don't tell anybody, although, again, he's unsuccessful in that. But here with the feeding of the 4,000, this is a very public event now. And so there's a, a climactic nature to it, very similar to what happens in Jewish territory with the feeding of the 5,000. The, these two feeding miracles serve as a climax of sorts of, again, that idea of fullness, completeness all of which is is also inherent in the number seven. Such all, all that is to say that while we don't want to be dogmatic about that, I think that the rest of the context invites that sort of reflection and conclusion that we see from the number seven elsewhere in the scriptures.
1: Yeah, well put. Yeah, I totally agree.
0: So you've got the seven loaves, and then... Before we get to, because I think there's there's plenty in terms of the, the verbs to look at and, and make, me make some connections to other meals in the scriptures, hint, hint. <laughs> the, the matter of, oh, yeah. of the they ate and were satisfied and, and even the, the abundance of it. You mentioned earlier that one of the differences between this text and the Mark 6 text is the baskets. These are really big baskets. So what, what do we see in terms of the provision that Jesus gives here?
1: yeah, we don't want we don't want to uh, just go over this either without making a big point of it that they are they're satisfied. Um, and and with that satisfaction, uh, you know Jesus is filling their hungry stomachs with food and their hungry hearts with himself, as he has been doing for three days. And not only does he satisfy them, but then there's this abundance. and there's an abundance of food. and there's also an abundance of spiritual food of his word. Um, and of uh, we know his his sacraments. So you think of of Psalm twenty three. It's a beloved psalm uh, among the, the favorites of of every Christian. That the cup runneth over. Uh, we cannot contain all the mercy and grace he has for us. Uh, and Jesus speaks this way too. You know, a good measure, right? That that's overflowing. Um, and and so he uses it in different contexts. But he's always trying to show us that that his where sin is you know grace abounds so much more and and where where there's desolation so much more is the lushness that that jesus brings um to the point where if it's ab- abundant if it's overflowing it gives us this understanding of it's never running out it's just always there and uh, it's, a, it's, it's a fountain that's just flowing constantly. And there's so many images in Scripture that we can think of. Uh, and it's also a pure gift. What are the people doing? They, they don't deserve it. They're doing nothing to get it. But they're certainly benefiting uh, to the point of overflowing with God's grace in Christ, both both physically uh, and then, then spiritually.
0: Just a couple of texts ago it was that Syrophoenician woman who came before Jesus and you know, Jesus said the children need to be fed first. You don't take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she, she says, well, yeah, but, but the dogs get the crumbs. And of course, Jesus, you know, heals her daughter. The demon leaves her daughter here. I think you, again, you get to see the, the finishing of, of that. What does it mean to receive a crumb from Jesus? What does it mean that the, that the Gentiles get the crumbs you know, here you've got 4,000 men who are fed and then the amount left over is just astounding. This is, this is what a crumb from Jesus looks like. And, and as you said, uh, it's, it's I've, all never
1: made, yeah, I've never made that connection before. Boy, that's beautiful. That's just, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. You know, um, you know, we'll ask for something and he'll give us so much more. Um, and, and what a, what a thought that is. So yeah, beautiful connection.
0: So, and then trying to, to draw more connections here. And and we noted this with the feeding of the 5,000 as well. And again, you know, we've got similarities here in the way that it's set up. A lot of the way that Mark writes about how Jesus does this, you know, he takes the loaves, he gives thanks, he breaks, he gives. These are very similar verbs, not just to Mark chapter six, but what we get later in the gospel when it comes to the Lord's Supper. So what are some, and I know we want to be careful because it's not the same meal, but what are some connections that we can draw between this feeding and what Jesus has given his church in the Lord's Supper?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are debates on this and, you know, that's why we don't want to be too dogmatic as far as um, what the intent here was, but, but we do know this, that if you read this and you're a regular, uh, hearer of God's word and in the divine service, if you don't think of Jesus taking bread and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, you know, you automatically think of the Lord's supper, the Eucharist, right? He giving thanks. That's what that Greek word means. Uh, and he, he gives thanks and gives it to his disciples. So, uh, you know, this this is something that should give us a connection to the Lord's Supper, but not just the Lord's Supper, but also then the apostolic ministry, which is continued on in the pastoral office. Um, so you notice that Jesus uses the disciples, right? He he puts them in little groups, and then uh, they set the bread and the fish uh, before the people, right? Um, And so Jesus doesn't hold this unbelief against them, and and again, he's patient with them, but he actually then uses them as his instruments to take care of the Gentiles, right? So again, this is a foreshadowing of what they will do as apostles, and a foreshadowing uh, for the church today that their work included distributing the Word and the Lord's Supper as the bread of life given for the whole world— uh, as John six, uh, Jesus says in John chapter six. So again, there is a uh, a, a connection here that shows Jesus preparing them uh, as they're distributing this bread and fish to the Gentiles for the the ministry to uh, not just the Jews but to the Gentiles uh, and to all nations uh, in in our day too. Um, and so I, I just think it's a it's something that we should mention. And again, there's satisfaction and an abundance, right? We know we have this. Uh, that's what the faithful today receive in the ministry of word and sacrament, and um, you know that God, that Jesus is preparing them uh, as He is in this three years during His ministry with them. Uh, I don't think we should overlook that. Again, with uh, with all this, you're going to the Gentiles too. Connection. Um, and and something that that they needed that lesson again and again and again. You remember Paul had to had to tell Peter that even hmm. uh, even while they were were uh, going to the Gentiles. It was so foreign to them that this is what they would be doing, but that they would one day from their hands. And it's something I, I hadn't really thought of until I read Dr. Winger's uh, Ephesians commentary that, of course, it should be natural to us to think that that you know, the Apostle Paul, presided in a, at an altar, hmm. right? Uh, these, these apostles were, were uh, preaching the gospel, of course, but they were also having divine services, and they were distributing uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so, uh, again, you, you prefaced it well, but I think it, there is a, a, a thought that immediately goes into our heads of the, the ministry of, of word and sacrament uh, amongst God's people all the way to the Gentiles.
0: You, you've been talking about the preparation that Jesus gives his apostles here, and I think that that fits well with what you mentioned back on the the first half of the program, we were talking about the disciples initial question, you know, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And and while we said, you know, there is certainly an element of unbelief there, you, you said they're in the right place because they recognize their own helplessness. And I think that too is part of their preparation for ministry later on being sent is that they recognize, well, how does Paul put it? Is it in 2 Corinthians 3, or I can't remember, but our sufficiency is not of ourselves. Our sufficiency yeah. is in Christ. And it seems that that's happening here too, that the disciples have nothing to hand out other than what they receive from their Lord.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you see it throughout. Uh, and we as pastors know this, that our sufficiency is in Christ and it's, we are clay vessels that simply carry a treasure that is not ours. We didn't earn it. We did nothing to deserve uh, to have it ourselves, uh, nor to give it out. And every every pastor should remind himself of that and here the unworthiness of these disciples and yet the patience of Jesus with them. And then says, he still says, go, go out. Or think of Peter with denying him three times and then Jesus saying, feed my, my sheep three times. He he uses broken instruments that uh, need. You know we are sinful and we need Christ, and we have Christ. He came to die uh, for us and and for for all the world and the the Gentiles included. And you know when you when you see somebody, it's somebody for whom Jesus died, and it, it's a good reminder that Jesus is going to use you, uh, uh, one you know for whom He died. Uh, to bring that to to them uh, the, the gospel of of Jesus Christ and 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 his supper to those who have been uh, instructed and it's a it's a humble reminder to us as pastors it's a good reminder to all Christians that, that God's using these men to bring his gifts to us he uses instruments and uh, we could probably I- expand that into into uh, the vocation of father and mother too, and mm. um, and talk about that. But you kind of get the point. He uses these broken instruments to bring his gospel to people.
0: Pastor Price, we've talked a lot about how the feeding of the five four thousand, excuse me, applies then to what the apostles will do and what pastors do in terms of the Lord's Supper. What about? for those who receive the sacrament, all Christians, what does this feeding have to teach us about what we receive in the Lord's Supper?
1: A couple of things. First thing I would mention is that, that the disciples are the hands of Jesus. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the German word for administrating the sacraments, for example, in, in the Oxford Confession. Our district president just told us this in his his piece for peace for our, our newsletter, uh, it, it's it, It's literally that they are to administer is to be the hands uh, that give out, and that's what your pastors are. Uh, so, so see that, that that they are instruments of, of your Lord Jesus, your Savior. Uh, and he loves you and he gave them to you as good gifts according to Ephesians four. Uh, so that's that's number one, but second, he gave them to you as gifts so that you might receive uh, the treasure that he they are giving and and that is Christ himself. Uh, that is his gospel, that you are justified uh, by his blood that he shed for you, uh, that same blood that he gives to you in his supper, uh, along with his body, uh, which is under that bread. And uh, that it is something that gives you satisfaction to know that your sins are fully forgiven by the blood Jesus shed on the cross, by the body that he gave up for you. And not only is it something that gives you satisfaction in the sense of knowing that you can you can be certain that you are saved uh, through what Christ has done for you, but also there's an abundance. Your cup overflows, and uh, there is there's more than enough bread. Uh, in in other words, there's more than enough Christ, and 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 He will continue to to give this to you through through these pastors uh, uh, by God's grace. And uh, and because he gives you that, you can trust that he will care for you. Um, and so you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you and, and, and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you.
0: As St. Mark wraps up this account, he notes that there were about 4,000 people. Now, we talked a little bit about the number seven. Is there something to this number of 4,000 that we get here at the end?
1: Well, I mean, it's a literal number, but at the right. same time, um, we know that, uh, from Matthew, uh, Matthew's account of this, that the women and children present were not included among the 4,000. So, uh, there are 4,000 men and then you have a lot more than that. So, uh, that's the first thing we should consider there is that it's a considerably larger crowd than 4,000 people, more than, more than 10,000 plus. Um, but the number 4,000, I think is interesting. And I was just thinking about this today, uh, that. It's one thousand times four, which again would signify completeness. This this one thousand uh, in scripture, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, right? Um, or the the millennium, right? Of of uh, one thousand years is from the ascension of Christ until His return. Uh, so there's this completeness, uh, but then you also got the four uh, for the world, and so. I just kind of uh, thought that that was an interesting thing to to mention. Uh, that this is a literal thing uh, amount of people, but at the same time, uh, there there is something to the numbers, and so we should we should give it due consideration.
0: Right again, in a gentile context, that a number like four thousand invites consideration like that. Again, without being dogmatic. Now we we conclude the text with verse ten about Jesus trip away. Anything there in verse ten to point out?
1: Just, to, just you know, we don't know where uh, that is, Dalmanutha, um, or uh, you know, these 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 towns, uh, we don't have any remnants of, of, of where exactly they were, but we do know that they existed. Um, but uh, here, there is a reminder of the difference between the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000. Uh, Jesus departs in a boat with his disciples, and he goes into this district of Dalmanutha, and uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, he goes up into a mountain to pray. So... Kind of, and where we started. These are certainly different miraculous events intended to teach us similar and yet very unique things about our Lord's mercy, uh, not just for Israel, uh, but for for Gentiles as well.
0: We've got about five minutes here to wrap things up, Pastor Price. At least as part of that, one of the things that's been going through my mind, and over a course of a couple episodes here, is that as we, and I mentioned this earlier, that the two feeding miracles. Serve as climaxes of sorts. That after a time of Jesus saying, "Don't say anything," he does these really public miracles in the feeding miracles, and and particularly with this one, with the idea of completeness, and and how we see some of the themes that have come out in the two previous texts really being brought to fruition here. What is it about these feeding miracles that serves as an appropriate climax of sorts of this revealing? What do they reveal about Jesus that? is so important for him to be this public.
1: Yeah, this is a a very interesting thing you're bringing up here that I, I, I'm just kind of going off the cuff here. Um, But I mean, when you think about the creation, when God was, was resting, he had provided them with all the the food that then they, they would eat uh, and they'd be satisfied and, and they'd have rest and peace Hmm. and they're living in paradise it's all it's all accomplished and and here you see him again supplying them with the food that that gives them satisfaction and and the abundance of it all it it's it's a foreshadowing of the paradise that we will have you think about isaiah twenty too, of the the uh the, the meal that we will have and the feast that that will come uh, there's a sense of of this this uh what we call the we should always have this eschatological horizon in our lives, meaning that we should always be thinking about the end times uh, when, when Christ returns to bring us into the paradise. This is our hope. We are, we are looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And there, there's this uh, foreshadowing then, I would say, uh, even even though you call the climax within the story itself, uh, of showing the fullness of what Christ is, is, is doing. He's, he's, he wants to bring us to, to that mountain uh, where, we will, uh, where death will be swallowed up forever, where, where there will be no hunger, uh, there will be no thirst, and i will wipe every tear from, from our eyes. So I, I can't think of any other climax in the story of Jesus then the resurrection where we get to behold his face and feast with him forever.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic comparison that you're drawing at what happens in the creation account and the, you know, the hearing of God's word that happened there for Adam, maybe the walking with God, the the eating that he provided for. And now Jesus has come preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that look like? Well, it looks like to to eat, to drink, to sit down, to recline at table with him in, in all this abundance. I think that's a, a fantastic parallel with just about two minutes here. Pastor Preuss, help us to, to wrap things up, summarize, give us the good news from, from this text.
1: So the good news from this text is that what was done for the Jews is also done for the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus fed the Jews in the feeding of the 5,000 and he did it because he loved them and he was sent to be their Christ, but he was not just sent to be their Christ and give them satisfaction and them abundance and be their shepherd but he has, he has made the Gentiles his sheep too. Uh, and he, uh, we, we eat more than the crumbs. I love that connection to the Syrophoenician woman that you know she's eating the crumbs, but when you eat a crumb from Jesus, boy, you are fed uh, to the fullest. And we, we are included. We are, are the Gentiles, uh, uh, the nations to whom uh, our, the apostles were sent by our Lord in order to bring us into the kingdom of God and to uh, satisfy us with, with uh, the peace and rest that only Christ can give, the bread of life himself. And uh, thanks be to God that he is not uh somebody who's discriminating against any person he sees us all uh as sinners in need of a savior uh and he sent that savior jesus uh who has compassion that that that, that deep-seated uh, divine mercy and churning within his his own bowels for the sake of us and to the point where he not only feels compassion but in his passion his suffering, He shows us His deep love for us uh, and 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 for the whole world, Gent- Jews and Gentiles included. So it, it, in the end, it does lead us all the way back to the cross, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, it's always pointing us uh, to, to Him.
0: Pastor Stephen Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have questions about Mark chapter 8 or any of the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always great to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.